This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 2, Episode 16. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network, brought to you by XS Sites. Today is Wednesday, June 23rd, 2021, as of the recording of this show. And I am your host, Riley Bowman, joined today by a special guest, Mr. Spencer Keepers, who is uh, who's been on this podcast before. It's been it's been a good while though, so I'm glad that you decided to reach out to me, Spencer. And and it was your idea. You were like, "Hey, bro, I'd like to do a show about about this topic." Yeah, I was like, "Yeah, let's do it." So thanks yeah. for reaching out, man. Yeah, it's good to be back. Yeah. We'll do a little bit more of an introduction with Spencer here momentarily for those that uh, aren't familiar. Uh, but uh, first, I should mention that this episode is sponsored by, honorarily, Keepers Concealment. Keepersconcealment.com is Spencer's company. Makes some of the finest quality holsters in the world, uh, as far as I know. So, and, and I should say that ConcealedCarry.com, we are proud to represent that and uh, sell a number of your holsters on our website. I think we have the uh, the original Keeper. Uh, we've got the Keeper's Light and the Errand holsters all listed on the website. But I'm not a, I'm not all, I'm not opposed to just having people go straight to KeepersConcealment.com because you're with us today. And folks, uh, show him your love. And if you're looking for a high-quality Especially if you carry appendix, it's going to be really well suited for that. Yeah. Give Keepers a look. Go to KeepersConcealment.com. And Spencer can talk a little bit more about that, uh, too. I, I do want to also mention before we get too far along that our, our other so-called sponsor of the show today is our very own 2021 Guardian Conference in Oklahoma City in September later this year. Still some seats available. Seats still are selling. Uh, so at some point, our early bird pricing is going to go away. At some point, tickets will go away when we decide we are sold out. Um, so guys, go to guardianconference.com. Make sure you get your tickets today. Uh, Guardian Nation members save quite a bit. Get a nice discount off of those ticket prices. But even if you're not a Guardian Nation member, I still think this will be one of the finest training events in the country with like a dozen or more awesome world-class instructors like Spencer Keepers right here and many others, many of whom have been on this podcast with us. Spencer, of course, I know you know Steve Moses. I know you know Brian Eastridge, who is uh, watching uh, here today as well. Uh, and refers to you as the master and high priest of appendix carry. <laughs> so uh, we're going to have a great time, folks, in Oklahoma. I know for some of you that may be a trip, we tried to pick a centrally located part of the country to come together with a fantastic range facility uh, to make this happen, uh, to put on three days of world-class instruction that you all are going to benefit from. If you can make the time and, and the means to to attend, got a really reasonable group rate. Uh, honestly, you know what? I was looking at hotels this weekend, this coming weekend, uh, Spencer in Grand Junction, because I'm going to be out there shooting a match. I don't know what's going on in Grand Junction this week, but they were like the cheapest hotel I could find was like 286 bucks a night. 
I was like, what? <laughs> but our group rate for the hotels there in uh, Oklahoma City are like 60 or 65 bucks a night. Oh, wow. That is awesome. That's because we got that locked in back in like November or December, back when COVID was still more of a concern and the, right. the whole industry was a little bit more worried about things. So we got that locked in a long time ago, guys. So I, I'm telling you, this is a, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a great location, easy to fly into, um, all of that. All right. So anyway, check out guardianconference.com, get your tickets. Spencer and I hope to see you there training with us. Yes. So let's get into it, Spencer. Um, again, I, I mentioned that you reached out to me. You said that, uh, hey, let's talk about carrying a gun while injured. I, I added to that title or disabled, uh, you know, thinking, you know, some, some people are temporarily injured or disabled. Some people have to live with it for, for all of their life. Right. Uh, I think that much of what we can discuss today will, will broadly apply to, to many, many folks that fit into those categories. Uh, you and I were talking a little bit offline beforehand. Uh, I mean, you've gone through some things recently um, that uh, I think has brought this to the forefront of your mind. Um, I've been fortunate in my life. I mean, I, I've, I have had some serious injuries, but all most of that occurred before I was really carrying a gun uh, seriously on a daily basis. Uh, been fortunate since then, but I know at some point, because we're human beings and we get old and decrepit that, uh, you know, I'll probably need surgery or something, you know, whether it's an elbow, whether it's just, you know, as a shooter, I even, I think, you know, it could be stuff with my hands, my elbows, my shoulders, right. It'd be other things as well. And, uh, so this is a really good topic to discuss, to be for folks like me to be thinking forward about like, Okay, what are some considerations, some things I, I can plan for a little bit for if and when that day comes, I'll be a little more ready for it and better able to handle myself. Um, but also, you know, for those of you that are out there that are already impacted in some of these ways, hopefully we'll give you some food for thought. Spencer, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? You know, kind of give us a little intro again for those that may not be as familiar with you. Okay. Your qualifications, uh, maybe a little bit about your company, Keepers Concealment, uh, and and then maybe kind of share with us what inspired this topic of discussion today. Okay. You know, so uh, I am a, a legitimate training junkie. Uh, I started this path back in roughly about 2007 uh, and uh, just went like hook, line, and sinker. I have trained with the, the proverbial hoo-hoos of the firearm training world. Uh, did, uh, you know, apprenticeship with some of them, uh, started teaching, you know, entry level classes and then more advanced level classes and then national level classes, uh, taught at several different conferences, um, you know, going to be teaching, uh, of course at the, the guardian nature conference here coming up, really, really looking forward to that, um. I uh, have another conference, it looks like, uh, in next year that I'll be teaching at. Uh, besides that, that uh, I can't quite talk about just yet. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, you know, I developed a reputation as a shooter. Uh, you know, I've trained, uh, you know, trained with a great one, Rob Latham, and shot against him in, in training classes and uh, um, beat him in several 
uh, events just because his gun completely malfunctioned, didn't have any out, didn't change the outcome, right? You know, I'll still beat Rob, Rob Latham. <laughs> um, and, uh, but anyhow. Hold, hold on. Got to put the brakes on you there for a second. So funny, funny story that I, I can't help but to share. Right. But I, I beat him on a dueling tree once. It was towards, it was at the end of three days of training. I was actually, I was fortunate to assist instruct uh, with him in that class that weekend. And he ran out of ammo for the class. So he's like, Hey bro, you you got some rounds you can lend me. I'm like, yeah, sure. So I hand him a box or two of, of some, some loads I had hand loaded myself. That's what I was shooting, you know? Right. And he's like, these aren't going to blow up my gun or anything. No, no, they won't blow up your gun. (laughs) However, (laughs) I did miss one thing in quality control we're shooting this dueling tree and I, I, I beat him and whether this was a determining factor or not, I don't know, but we'll give him the benefit of the doubt, but he had to clear malfunction because one of my rounds I gave him had a reverse primer, had a backwards primer. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it still had a primer in it, Rob. Sorry, bro. (laughs) He hasn't let me live that down. (laughs) Anyway, sorry. That's that's funny. Well, at least you and him, you and I have beat him under the same circumstances. <laughs> um, you know, uh, and, and uh, so from the shooting side of it, then, you know, I spent some time getting into the uh, the uh, grappling side of, <clears throat> you know, being uh, uh, grappling over a gun, et cetera. I didn't spend a ton of time there. What's, you know, so, uh, 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 I'll, I'll list some guys when we get around to that point, you know, about, you know, who you would want to kind of contact for that. Uh, and, uh, uh, but you know, I've been a gun guy all my life, a hunter all my life. Uh, I've, uh, I think where a lot of people differ is I have used my carry guns to harvest game with uh, multiple times. Um, And uh, I think that puts a little different spin on it, you know? Um, So, uh, and then just uh, to talk about kind of why I believe that I am uh, qualified to teach about carrying while injured um, at last count, I believe I've had 27 surgeries. Uh, three of those have been joint replacements. Uh, I've had, uh, you know, uh, multiple hand surgeries, uh, three shoulder surgeries, which I'm just coming off of one, uh, just coming off of a left hip replacement. Uh, <clears throat> I have had, you know, other calamities in my life, uh, et cetera, where, uh, you know, most people with moderate luck don't have that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've had to really adapt uh, my way of carry or being able to carry a gun uh, in such a way that it wasn't my normal, you know, <clears throat> this is how I carry a gun every day kind of thing it was completely different than that. Uh, and, uh, so, you know, that's kind of what I would, you know, really like to talk about, uh, in this, in this segment is, um, <clears throat> uh, 
and why that matters, you know, because uh, here's a perfect uh, to kind of start this off. Here's a perfect uh, scenario that happened for me mm-hmm. is uh, this was about 2015 um, and I had a small little cut up here on my right pinky finger on the on the side, just a little scrape. <clears throat> and Saturday morning, um, and it started getting like just worse and worse, and my hand started getting hot, and it hurt, and it, you know, uh, I couldn't get. I, it got to the point where I couldn't really close it and make a fist and grip it you know, make a grip. And, uh, uh, my wife kind of looked at that and she's like, you know, I think that's, I think that's like a staph infection or MRSA. And, uh, so sure enough, it turned out to be MRSA. And, uh, I went to a little after hours clinic, you know, and they pumped me up with a bunch of antibiotics and salves and all that. Well, um, <clears throat> within, within the period of about four hours, uh, I went from having complete control of my right hand to not being able to shut my right hand. So with, within really just a a micronism of time, uh, I lost use of my right hand. And luckily for me, you know, had a holster company in the shop, walked out to the guys and I was like, Hey, I need a uh, left hand keeper for a Glock 34. And they're like, Oh, here you go. Right. Well, you know, for most people that are listening, uh, I would highly encourage you, if you're very serious about this kind of thing, to have that set up waiting for you already. So just in case something like that happens to you, uh, you're ready. You know, maybe it's a a construction accident. You know, I had a uh, had a friend of mine at work. We were working on a. on a radar and he decided to drill a, uh, uh, put a three eighths drill through the center of his palm. Uh, and, uh, you know, went, went through that piece of sheet metal a little faster than he thought it would and went right through his palm while it was, while he was holding it, you know, and, and, uh, I have a scar on my palm from something <laughs> similar, <laughs> you know? And so, you know, those kind of things happen and they happen with some regularity and, uh, um, you know, you, you, you really need, especially, so you think about that, especially at that point in time in your life, you need a really robust other carry system. Because if we want to say that our normal everyday level of comfort in, in an everyday carry is, you know, let's say a Glock 17 with one or two spare mags, you know, a tourniquet, a knife, pepper spray, and maybe a backup gun, you know, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, common, very common, you know, maybe it's a Glock 26 and, you know, you've got a Glock 26, a Glock 17, two spare Glock 17 mags, you know, a tourniquet, a knife, a pepper spray, you know, all that stuff, you know, and that's your comfort level. Well, now you're not going to be able to use near as much of that stuff. Mm-hmm. You've got, yeah. you know, one, one hand or arm or shoulder that's, that's, uh, um, 
you know, out of the game. And now we're talking about, uh, well, you know, maybe we take a J frame and throw it in a pocket, you know? And so now we've gone from having, you know, 50 plus rounds of capability on us to five. And if you're injured, you're dang sure not going to be able to reload a J frame mm-hmm. quickly by any means. Right. right. I mean, just, just by any means whatsoever. And, uh, you know, so people need to really think about that, uh, and, and be prepared for that. Uh, you know, it's not as bad in this day as age because we're, we really live in a wonderful day and age of being able to get fairly decent holsters fairly quickly, you know, um, keepers concealment, you know, you're looking two to three weeks, Right. On the lead time, sometimes less, you know, sometimes maybe a little bit more if it's something difficult or whatever, you know, or, uh, you know, that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, you you back that up a few years and that was a year wait. Mm. Right. You know, and, you know, back then when you were waiting a year for a holster, you didn't even know if you were going to be carrying that gun when you got it. (laughs) You know, so you're making like you're making like monthly holster buys just to, you know, kind of get the supply train coming to you, you know? Um, so, uh, <clears throat> you know, so that's something to really think about, um, having some form of, uh, 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 less than lethal device on you as well that you can get to and operate, you know, pepper spray, uh, you know, the palm or the asp has kind of been my go-tos in that, in that scenario. Uh, when I just had this shoulder operated on, I had a, uh, uh, it wasn't a, it was one, wasn't one of those, but it was another pepper spray co- company. Uh, and I had it in my little sling that I had my arm in. I had at, it actually clipped into that. Mm. You know, so it, that was a place it set pretty convenient where I could get to it with my right hand, push, come to shove. I could actually put it into my left hand, you know, and uh, while my hand worked, my shoulder really didn't. So, you know, I'd have to kind of turn my body and turn my hand to get it to where I needed it to be. But but I did have some form of capability at that point in time that was less than, le- less than lethal. So I'd highly encourage uh, users to think about that. Mm. Yeah. And I, I appreciate you. I mean, right off the bat here, we're, we're getting right into not, not even just a gun, but, but planting the seeds to be thinking about how and where a person is staging other forms of equipment. I mean, the tourniquet, you mentioned a tourniquet. Yes. Huge advocates. And I've been an advocate for some time now for, for carrying a tourniquet at the very least, uh, your most basic fundamental stop the bleed type item uh, for for bleeds that should be able to be stopped and, and are very critical to be stopped. Right. Uh, you know, great thing to have, but okay, I am down one limb for whatever reason, a surgery, an injury, whatever. Can I reach that tourniquet? Can I reach my pepper spray? Um, all of that. Well, um, and it, and it, go ahead. And even at that point in time, can you even put the clothes on that you would normally carry all that stuff in? You know, yeah. um, 
you know, you know, for me, uh, I can't with the, with the shoulder surgery, the, you know, the first few weeks, um, you know, I can't even put my normal clothes and run my normal belt and my normal holster whatsoever. You know, I just, just, no, I can't do that with one hand. Uh, and, uh, you know, I typically like to get up and, uh, get out of the house before the wife does. And I don't really want to have to wake her up to, you know, go, you know, Hey, will you literally, will you help me buckle my belt? You know, uh, and then, and even if, you know, you get that done, heaven forbid you run out and have to use the restroom, you know, (laughs) then you're really in a pinch. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, so, uh, uh, the clothes that you wear while injured uh, matter greatly. Uh, for me, it's uh, it's sweatpants, uh, and I get the draw cord set well enough that uh, I can. Um, I run. I have been running here lately. I've been running a uh, Smith and Wesson uh, Shield Plus Pro mm-hmm. Center uh, with the Shield Dot and uh, one of our keeper holsters with uh, model block uh, clips on it. Uh, and I can take that, uh, holster on and off with one hand. I can, you know, make the pants function as I need them to, uh, et cetera. Uh, and I still think it's just incredibly amazing that that shield isn't any bigger than the shields that I've had before, but I've got 13 plus one and nine millimeter in it. Mm Mm-hmm. And, a very uh, capable gun. Yeah, very capable gun. And uh, this is a perfect segue into, speaking of that, into a little story that I wanted to spend uh, just a little bit of time in on. Uh, and it kind of, uh, to me, it kind of brings out the, uh, almost a little bit of the fallacy of the J-frame. Okay. Because... Mm-hmm. When people get like, you know, if they get hurt, that seems to be the gun they go to. You know, they're like, well, you know, I'll just throw a J-frame in a pocket and I'll be fine. Yeah. And uh, so uh, let's uh, rewind. Several years ago, I had just had a right knee scope. Uh, This is 2000 and uh, whatever year they killed Osama was it, I think it was 2011. That sounds about right. Right. Um, so, uh, I had just had a right knee scope and a week later I had a right shoulder surgery. And, mm. uh, you talked about getting just like literally not down. I mean, it was, uh, it was really tough to recover from both of those, having them had, having had both of those so close together. And uh, <clears throat> so the, uh, uh, the current wife at the time, ex-wife, uh, you know, she got up and left work and, and uh, me and my dog Hershey, uh, we would sit there in our chair and uh, wait till the uh, <clears throat> uh, male guy went by. And uh, we'd get up and we would walk out and get the mail and come back. And, and that was about the physical activity for me for about the first two weeks, three weeks of that, uh, of that thing. And uh, I felt super confident because I had a Smith and Wesson 
uh, M&P 340J frame, you know, five rounds, a 38 special plus P, you know, something or another in my left front pocket. <clears throat> and uh, as I as I walked out to the mailbox and <clears throat> very uh, old, incredibly great uh, chocolate lab that I had named Hershey, uh, <clears throat> he uh, he would run out to the mailbox and you know, there was a bush out there. He'd run out there and pee on it because he was still a stud, you know, in his eyes. And he was like 13 at this time, you know. So and uh, and he was he was an amazing retriever uh, just, to, you know, giving that. And uh, <clears throat> during that one day uh, around the corner, because we live kind of on a circle and then around the corner on the entrance to the circles came this dilapidated Chevrolet pickup. With a trailer, <clears throat> there were two uh, individuals in the front seat. There were three individuals in the bed. Two of the individuals were on the far side, on what would be the passenger side of the bed. One was on the, the driver's side. And the driver looked up and saw me standing about five feet from the, the edge of the road. Now, you know, mind you, I've got this big bandage wrapped around my right knee and my right hand is in the sling with the big bandage wrapped around my shoulder. And he slows down and stops. And his look is a look of absolute, I am a lion and I have found a gazelle that is wounded at the waterhole. Okay. He turned around and spoke something to the three guys in the back of the truck. The three of them turned around and crouched at the bed of the truck on my side. And I'm standing there. Obviously, I can't fight at all. I can't run. And I have exactly five rounds in my J-frame four or five bad guys. And we had a very intense stare off uh, me and the driver. Cause he was the leader of the group. <clears throat> and at some point in time, I kind of got wise. I was actually wearing a, a vest and had that J frame in the left front pocket. <clears throat> and I pushed, that J frame out. So it would print against the clothing. Mm. Uh, and after our eyes had probably, it was probably 30 seconds. Uh, no joke. I mean, it was a long time. I knew what they were up to. They knew what I were up to. You know, it was, it was, you know, it was the showdown going on. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, my plan was, uh, if they exited the vehicle and decided to, uh, you know, try and uh, <clears throat> attack me or get me into back into the house where they could, you know, clean the house out or something was, you know, I was going to shoot the driver in the face first and then worry about the other four. And uh, uh, <clears throat> but after I did that, he finally noticed uh, the outline and took off. Mm. And, uh, you know, so no big, you know, no catastrophic thing happened there. Uh, but I will tell you 
that the next day when I did that, I went with a Glock 19 and 16 rounds of 9mm, and I felt a whole lot better about that situation, right? <clears throat> so um, in that, you may have to give up your, your typical uh, carry gun, uh, but we live in a great day and age of small carry guns that have decent capacity. Uh, you know, the Shield Plus is one, the Hellcat is one, the, the uh, you know, the Glock. 365. The 365, yes, there you go. You know, the Glock 48, uh, you know, at 10 rounds or maybe buy the Shield mags and now you got 15 and one. Uh, you know, so <clears throat> you've got some lightweight carry options uh, that still have you know, what five or 10 years ago would be absolute high cap capacity to use. Uh, and, uh, and so it's a great, you know, uh, it's a great time uh, uh, to be like that. <clears throat> um, clothing, you know, again, clothing choices um, is going to be a huge thing because for a while you're not going to be able to wear the normal clothes that you wear and you're going to want to try and figure out something that you can adapt uh, and wear and wear a gun with, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you know, like I said, for me, it's sweatpants. It's a, uh, 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 it's that shield in one of our keeper holsters with uh, discrete carry concept clips and uh, it works fine, you know, clip that right on. Uh, I actually prefer the plastic clips that most of our uh, holsters come with, but, you know, that's neither here nor here nor there. Uh, they're both good options. So that's something for the listener to consider because um, the, the ability to do a reload when one of your uh, limbs, especially your hands, is injured, it's just greatly, it's so far reduced that it probably will not, will probably, if you get to that point, it will have a negative, very negative impact to the outcome of the situation, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. No, it makes a lot of sense, actually. And, and, and you know, it's a pretty interesting way of presenting this concept, I, I think. I mean, as far as your personal experience with a situation where there was potentially five threats and you had a five round gun. And that is a very uncomfortable position to be in <clears throat> very, yes, very limiting. Um, and, you know, for, for a long time, I've been <clears throat> of the opinion that the minimum capacity of a gun that I consider viable for, I would say EDC use, right? Cause like, I, I still think that there's contexts and situations where uh, a revolver, a J frame is appropriate and makes sense. Um, especially with someone that's a trained individual and is effective as, with that kind of gun. As Not do everybody I. Is. Um, but, but generally speaking again, for like an EDC context, I like minimum of 10 rounds. Yeah, uh, and, and part of that, and I, I know there's a lot of other folks in the industry that that are like-minded in that regard. For whatever reason, that ten-round number, and I don't know why I settled on that years ago, but I just, you know, just kind of looking at common 
incidents that people are involved with. And it's like, well, you don't want to be carrying something that is like if I know there's all kinds of statistics out there and people like to throw things out. But let's just say we looked at, you know, the the average gunfight and we're like, oh, four rounds is it. Well, you want to be carrying a five round gun with just one extra round or do you want to have a little bit more extra to work with there? Because obviously if three or four is the average or even if it was five, well, you probably want, you know, that means that's the average. That means that, yes, there are times where seven, eight, nine rounds is, is needed. I would say it seems like in a civilian context that it's not very common that we see probably more than 10 rounds being fired. And I think for whatever reason in my mind, that's kind of how I ended up that number is like 10 sounds like a good reasonable number. And we've got lots of options that, that meet that threshold. Even the older shield pistols with some slightly extended magazines or the mag guts, uh, uh, you know, in um, option uh, could get you there. Uh, you got the Glock 48 and 43 X P365, which turned the whole concealed, uh, industry, concealed, concealed carry industry on its head, uh, Hellcat, the Shield Plus now, of course. So lots of great options. And of course, bigger guns than that as well. Right. Um, and I know that you, you know, just having followed you for a while and watched a number of your videos and your Facebook lives and different things that, I mean, you, you tend to carry when you're able to a more or less full-size gun. Correct. A Beretta 92, yes. uh, a Glock 1734 of some kind, you know, something of that, of that, uh, 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 genre, if you will. So, um, anyway, I just, my point is I kind of got a little long winded, longer winded than I intended there, but I just, I, I think that was an interesting way to lead into that to kind of, you know, Hey, five rounds, five, six rounds, even like I remember when the 43 first came out. Right. And it was like, six round gun like in a semi-auto really i don't know right. i don't know what glock was thinking when they did that but anyway uh you know it's just like yeah like 10 rounds just feels a lot or or more feels a lot better to me uh and, and to your point back around to where we started with all this it's one thing if you were carrying a five or six shot gun and you have both appendage or both limbs and all your appendages to be able to do a reload with. But if you're down to one arm, one hand reloads are so much more difficult. Correct. And to your point, if it gets to that point, you're probably screwed. So yeah. better to just have kind of that minimum fight capacity uh, to begin with. If you are already down one limb to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that brings up a probably a pretty good segue into uh, what I would talk about now, which is situational control. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> you know, so. Hey, Spencer. Be- yes. I don't want to totally derail you here, but before we go that direction, do you mind if I ask you a specific question regarding, well, it's a little bit technique oriented, but also clothing could be a part of the discussion, too. And, and what that is, is I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on, you know, tips or tricks or things that you've discovered as it relates to clearing garment one-handed and drawing, where you got to uh, do all that work yeah, with one hand. Right. You know, so, uh, uh, you know, uh, 
Most generally, for the vast majority of when I'm injured and I'm carrying, I'm carrying a gun appendix, whether it be left or right side, depending on, you know, what hand or shoulder, uh, elbow, et cetera, may be injured. Uh, and I'm going to clear that garment the same way I would, the same way I teach in a class. I'm going to grab a hold of the garment raise it up, pin it with the back of my forearm, run my hand down onto the gun and then draw the gun and take it out. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I'm going to do all that one handed. Uh, now, if I'm to the point where, <clears throat> you know, like I kind of am now where um, I can use my you know left hand uh, for certain things. And if I have it available, I am absolutely going to use both hands to clear the gun, to basically to draw the gun, to clear the garment and get my hand on the gun. Mm -hmm. And if I can't even get the support hand on the gun, but I can use it to clear the garment, I'm going to do that because mm -hmm. it's just that much faster. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of people, not a lot of people. There's some instructors out there that will say, you know, don't worry about speed. Uh, I, I would just completely disagree with that. And the argument that I would say it's speed is kind of like having strength in a fight. I don't know how much strength I need, but I sure wouldn't want less of it. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, just, I just wouldn't, you know, uh, if, if, uh, you know, if I knew I was going to be in a fight tomorrow, or I could wait, you know, a year and get my uh, uh, my bench press up to 315, 315 pounds and my deadlift up to 500 pounds, I would absolutely wait because the stronger I am, the better outcome that's going to be for me, you know, and I would do jits the entire time I was <laughs> doing all the other stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so, but yeah, uh, clearing the cover garment. Uh, and the other thing, too, is, you know, you may be able to position, especially if it's cooler outside and you can wear an outside garment with a with a pocket, you know, uh, you can position that good hand on the gun, you know, or very near it uh, and have a much different presentation. Mm. Uh, so, you know, that's something to look at or really what you want to you want to you don't want to rule any carry option out that's legitimate when you're injured, right? Mm -hmm. You know, when I say legitimate, no small of the back carry, uh, you know, uh, ankle carry is going to be problematic because it's, it's, while it's not a bad way to carry a gun, it's slow to get to, especially if you're injured. You know, if you just had a knee replacement and you're carrying an ankle holster, you know, good luck getting to that, <clears throat> mm -hmm. you know, in in a timely fashion. You know, when when I say timely fashion, you know, I'm really talking, you know, from balloon going up two seconds. I want to be able to at least in two seconds, I want to be able to have the gun and be able to make accurate hits in that time frame. Mm -hmm. You know, so. <clears throat> yeah. um, uh, so, but that was a good point. This is a good point. So kind of going back to, to situational control and, mm -hmm. uh, it, you know, 
you your spidey senses need to be off the charts when you're injured, right? Because uh, you are really prey at that point in time. Uh, mm-hmm. The late the late William April talked about um, doing a study or seeing a study that had been done where they where they made uh, <clears throat> they took people uh, and just had them walk and they had <clears throat> uh, sensors on them and essentially they turned that into stick figures that was walking and they showed those stick figures to a number of criminals and they asked the criminals basically yes or no, would you attack this or approach this person for an attack or not? And what was really spooky is all the criminals agreed within like a 98 or 99 percentile of which ones they would go after. And when they went back further and examined those people because the the uh, researchers knew that many of those people had been assaulted before mm. so <clears throat> walking is a huge uh you know huge deal so if you are injured or if you are you know disabled and crippled you want to spend as much time if you're going to go to a store you want to spend as much time as you can patrolling the parking lot. That may be one of those deals where you drive around the parking lot four or five times just to get a complete layout of the parking lot, who's in it, what they're doing, why they're doing it, et cetera, before you park and go in. You know, and if you see somebody that's just, you know, loitering around or waiting, um, you know, maybe that's not the entrance to the mall that you use, you know, maybe you go to another one. Uh, maybe you just decide that, you know, Hey, I can shop for uh, groceries tomorrow. I'll just buy something through the drive through to eat tonight and worry about doing that tomorrow. Your plan needs to be very fluid at that point in time. If that makes sense at all. Oh, absolutely. does. Uh, I mean, these are wise things for, for anybody, no matter who you are, but like to your point, when you are, uh, not 100% physically, it just becomes all that more important that we do everything we can to avoid, detect, uh, evade, uh, you know, threats or potential threats. Yes, yes, yes. hundred percent. Um, you know, one of the things that, uh, that I've done and, uh, I'm sure, you know, some people probably make fun of me for this. Uh, but when I've had uh, joint replacements, uh, cause it sucks to walk on those, you know, for a while, trust me, I know, um, I've asked for a temporary handicap sticker, hmm. you know, so that my, my transition, from an enclosed environment to another enclosed environment, being a car or a store or a store to a car is a shorter walk uh, than, you know, what it could be. Uh, So I think that's a, you know, I think that's a really good thing, um, you know, to to look at. Uh, And before leaving the car, man, like I said, 
you want to know where everybody is and what everybody's doing and be very aware of that. Uh, Cause you don't have those capabilities that you normally do. You just, you just, you just don't. Um, uh, <clears throat> one of the other things I'll talk about is uh, doctor visits. You know, so we just talked about carrying a gun, you know, with this one, we're coming and going, well, you know, I want to carry a gun into the doctor visit, right? Mm. Um, <clears throat> well, you know, interestingly enough, sometimes when you get in a doctor visit, they'll be like, you know, uh, oh, hey, by the way, we're going to do this and we need you to take your shirt off, you know, and I'm like, oh, crap, I've got a gun on, you know, and uh, um, so you need to kind of plan ahead for that. And that may be one of those deals where uh, you put a gun in an off body carry. Uh, you know, maybe that's where you get a fanny pack and literally use a fanny pack to carry the gun in and out so that you're still armed, you're still capable, but you can have a procedure done, you know, and not, uh, you know, and not be like me when I had my clinch pick, you know, they said, you know, take everything out of your pockets. And I'm like, okay, take everything out of my pockets. And I left my clinch pick on my, you know, my not on my belt and uh you know the uh the x-ray tech comes out and goes uh do you have a knife on and i'm like no <laughs> they're like uh well then we have a real problem because there's a knife in your abdomen <laughs> <laughs> like oh yes i do by the way so sorry about that <laughs> Like, what do you use that for? I saw I use it to open letters because, you know, the blade's on the top side and I open a lot of packages at work, you know, and, and they bought that, believe it or not. <laughs> uh, Don't know. forget the tactical pen in your back pocket when you got to go for an MRI. Uh, I made that mistake and uh, um, that thing could have done some real damage as it got sucked out of my pocket and shot up my body and then poof, to the side of the machine. <laughs> to the side of the machine. Um, that, was, that was a real lesson learned. I mean, we went through the whole rigmarole, rigmarole you know, he's like, check your pockets, make sure you got everything. I'm like, yeah, I think I got everything. Yeah. So, you know, thought I checked myself, double checked myself and missed that pen. Uh, it wasn't even like one of the real super tactical looking ones, it was, it, but it was uh, one of the Tough Rider ones, um, which is a little bit more, uh, it just looked like a pen to the average person, but it's, you know, it's built strong and can can do some right. damage when it needs to. Right. And, and that thing, I mean, it literally went out of my pocket and it went up my side and like scratched me. And I was like, oh, like it was, it was it was like a bullet quick. I was yeah. like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. anyway, yeah. sorry. That, that was an interesting experience. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, uh, I sat in a, uh, uh, very long story short. I ended up trying to console somebody that was having an MRI done. And I was wearing a Glock 17 at the time and could feel it trying to get pulled away from my body. 
mm-hmm. uh, during that, you know. So it's like, yep, I'm gonna scoot back and just barely touch your arm. <laughs> so, so, because that would have been really bad, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Walk in there, like, hey, can you get that gun off that thing for me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Um. These are really great points. And I, I've done some similar things. Uh, you know, I've certainly gone into regular checkups, just carrying on my body where I felt confident that I was, you know, it was just, just a standard checkup. I wasn't going to have to remove clothes or anything like that. But I, but I have uh, gotten to where, um, you know, I prefer to, I'll, I'll take like my backpack. And a lot of times, like when I go to the doctor's office, man, I hate, waiting around and not being productive. So I'll almost always have my laptop with me. And and that's something I've found that I think uh, if you can create the story of why you've got something, you know, so my right. backpack, it's like, well, right. Hey, you saw me in the waiting room. I'm sitting here on my laptop, getting some work done, which is legit, you right. know, drop it in the backpack. Meanwhile, that backpack's got a, you know, hidden pocket or a holster built into it somewhere. And, you know, that I can carry my gun in safely. Yeah. Yeah. The, the other thing, interesting, you know, uh, one, and one of the things that I'm known for is wearing a, uh, a compressed, uh, sleeveless, you know, compression shirt under, yeah, as an undershirt. And, uh, I've been in such situ- a couple situations where, uh, just really unexpectedly, you know, the doctor wanted to look at the incisions, et cetera, and asked me to remove my outer cover garment. And while doing that, I just took the inner cover garment and draped it over the gun uh, and, you know, was able to hide it that way. And uh, and that worked just fine, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that uh, and the other side of that is and, uh, for all the people that I've talked to in my classes, you know, it, it makes carrying a gun much more comfortable because uh, it's not rubbing up against your body, you know, the entire time. Uh, so, uh, <clears throat> uh, uh, you know, one of the other things too, we talked about, you know, before you leave the car, uh, but one of the, uh, one of the things that I'll like to talk about is when you get to the car, right. When I get to the car, like, the first thing I do is get in the car and I get the car moving. Because uh, if anybody has anything planned at that point in time, if they've kind of scoped me out and, you know, man, that dude can hardly walk or he's, you know, got his arm in a brace or hand in a brace or, you know, whatever, he's going to be pretty easy to take advantage of. I want that vehicle moving as soon as I can. So I don't wait to put a seatbelt on or anything like that. I get the vehicle moving. Once I get it out of the, you know, the parking space where I have ability to move the vehicle, you know, then I can put uh, the seatbelt on, et cetera, because, uh, the you know a twin turbo v6 or a uh you know a supercharged v8 uh you know beats a 45 every time you know mm-hmm. if i can run away from that problem it's so much easier than having to try and deal with that especially inside a vehicle yeah uh, i've done some grappling inside a vehicle and it sucks yeah so 
Yeah. <clears throat> you know, no, so yeah. go ahead. I, I just, you know, acknowledging, you know, kind of everything we've, we've covered up to this point and we're, we're getting close to that hour mark, but, uh, uh, you know, just obviously we got to, when we're dealing with injuries or disablements, uh, we got to give it, we got to give a little extra thought as far as where we carry, how we carry, uh, perhaps even the actual gun we carry, uh, capacity of that gun. Uh, so we really limit the, the possibility for having to do any reloads if that's an issue based on our, our physical uh, condition at the time. Uh, clothing choices, I mean, you touched on that as well, which is really good, uh, that you may not be able to wear what you normally wear. Uh, situational control, transitional spaces, minimizing the time we spend in those spaces. Yeah, all that. Avoiding conflict in the first place. Going to the doctor's office. Wow, we've covered a lot. Um, what would you say to, I think so far, a lot of this has been, you know, it's been very geared around the, the kind of the, the things and the wares and the hows, uh, as far as how and where we carry the gun or how we manage ourselves in different spaces. But I want to pick your brain a little bit on the training aspects. So like, what are some of the things that you do or have done in, you know, to, to prepare yourself from a training perspective for carrying a gun when you are limited physically? Well, you know, really that should come back to what you've already done. Uh, Mm -hmm. You're, if you've got a good, well-rounded training program, you, you're already shooting strong hand, only you're shooting weak hand only you're mm-hmm. drawing the gun occasionally strong hand only mm-hmm. or weak hand only um you know you're uh you're trying to reload the gun strong hand only and weak hand only you know it's not something you need to spend a ton of time on but it's something that you need to know how to do you know and uh, in in most of my classes i have students do that because I don't want the first time for them to try and figure out, you know, hey, I need I need to be able to do this when they're already, you know, they've just had a shoulder scope and and, you know, they're out and they're like, you know, oh, my God, if I draw my gun and I run out of ammo, what do I do now? You know, so you need to kind of really plan ahead for all that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and some of them you can and, you know, some of them you can't. You don't know you know, uh, you know, the, the world is really full of unknowns. You don't know if today is going to be the day when that, you know, that drunk runs a red light and T-bones you. And, you know, the next thing, you know, you wake up in a hospital and your left arm is broke and your left leg is broke. And now what do I do to be able to protect myself? You know, we need, we need a plan that thinks forward for a lot of those circumstances. And it doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to get uh, paranoid about that by any means, but you need to, you know, like I said, if it, you know, you need to have a left hand or right hand holster, whichever the way you carry, you need to have the opposite side holster set up already, you know, in your holster bag, 
waiting, ready to go so that if you need it, you've got it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So well, why don't you touch just a little bit on just again, cause I know we've got some people likely watching or listening to this that uh, maybe are a little bit earlier on in their shooting or concealed carry journey. But uh, I know that you're real big into dry fire practice. Uh, it's something that you do quite a bit of and you, you, you share a lot of great information and knowledge with people through uh, your various Facebook live videos in particular, what I, what I see um, <clears throat> while you're kind of doing dry fire sessions and you answer people's questions and whatnot. So maybe you could kind of paint a picture for the layman, if you will, of what your expectations are to develop and maintain a competent skill level of shooting as it relates to like what kind of dry fire routine have you followed or do you follow? Uh, you know, because so, obviously just, just to paint, you know, just give you the context. Cause obviously I think the, the, the dry fire routine and the time we put in the work we put in is going to apply whether we are, doing everything at a hundred percent health level or we're down a limb or whatever. Right. Right. Um, you know, so I, I kind of differ in my, uh, uh, dry fire regimen and what I recommend and than what I see a lot of people do, uh, you know, on the internet and talk about, you know, they're like, well, you know, I want to, I want to be a master class shooter and I'm a C class shooter. So this morning I got up at 3 a.m. and I did dry practice from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. before I went to work, you know, and, right. you know, hey, good on you, bro. But is that really taking you from C class to A class within a month or so? You know, because what I see a lot of people do that have extended periods of dry practice is they start getting super sloppy with it and they start getting tired. And that is the habit that they start ingraining, not the habit that they really need to ingrain, Mm -hmm. you know. They start not gripping the gun very hard. You know, they start getting really, really laxed on reading the sights and the trigger press, et cetera. Um, you know, so for me, it's, you know, five, 10 minutes and I'm done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, uh, I will spend, uh, <clears throat> you know, say four, let's say I'm going to dry practice for 10 minutes, Right. I'm going to spend about seven minutes of that ish doing uh, probably draws and tra- draws to a uh, a low percentage uh, target, uh, and then a transition from that, right? Um, <clears throat> or I may focus on reloads one time and not so much draws, etc. But I'm always going to have strong hand and weak hand built into that for a minute or two uh, so that I'm gripping the gun really hard and I'm controlling the trigger really hard. And that's the neuro pathways that I'm building so that when, 
you know, when the gun gets in my support hand and I poke the gun out and I see the dot or the front sight, I'm gripping the gun the way I should grip the gun and I'm manipulating the trigger the way I should manipulate the trigger, you know. And then, you know, uh, you you read, of course, some of the, you know, some of the guys early on, uh, and it doesn't seem like we've got very many questions or comments in the show, but, um, you know, uh, those guys just need to try and figure out a way that they can adapt that into what their capabilities are and then make sure that those capabilities when you're practicing them is as close to a hundred percent as you can, you know, uh, I would love to tell you that I could do a Ben Stoker three hour, you know, complete dry fire session. And that dude probably benefits from that. Right. But he's done it so much and he's so good at it that at minute one and at minute, you know, 180, he's gripping the gun the same way he was. And most people don't have the stamina to do that. Yeah. So I I would say physically or mentally. And and frankly, I, I believe that, uh, probably the mental aspect is harder to say to really stay engaged for, for the average person right. uh, than even the physical side, uh, because it's just so easy to, like you said, to get lazy with it where you're just sort of going through the motions. Right. And if you're just going through the motions, like you need to recognize that and either change your attitude about it or just be like, you know what, pick it up again tomorrow. You know, yeah. when I'm a little bit more fresh again. Yeah, and that's 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 yeah. what I have found with myself is is just you got to be constantly mentally engaged. Or uh, you're I, not going to get the benefit that you need. Yeah, I, I would much rather have a student do three five minute sessions during a day than one hour long session at night after he come home from work and cook dinner and took care of the kids and, you know, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, or, you know, maybe, maybe in the morning you get up and right before you leave to go out the door, you know, you put your gear on real quick and you do five minutes of dry practice, uh, you know, cause most people don't even really get in trouble if they're five minutes late to work. <laughs> and, and, you know, I mean, things are important. You got to make time for, you know, and then when they get home, Maybe do that as a decompression, you know, from the day at work and then start your evening with your family. Yeah. Well, you know, we were just talking about that on the, uh, on episode 15 of uh, season two here, just a few hours ago, me and Matthew uh, talking about, and this has been my routine for years now. I don't do it every day because, you know, there are certainly those days where you get up and you're like, gotta go, gotta go. Right. But, more often than not, more than 50% of the time, I'm strapping on my gear, putting my gun in the holster for the day and, you know, quickly unload it or whatever, you know, make it safe to do so and do, I'll even just do 10 reps sometimes. That's still better than no reps that day. Oh yeah. Yeah, you know absolutely. I mean? and, and I'm real huge on less long, but more frequent or more consistent dry fire sessions yeah. than, you know, like some people will probably 
take a couple of nights a week and do those hour or two hour long sessions. I'd rather see you do 15 minutes a day, even like yes. you, you'll be so much more consistent and more focused and more engaged doing yeah. that. And just figure out in your schedule, like what works for my lifestyle, you know, what, where, where can, cause we can all find five, 10, 15 minutes in a oh, day yeah. if we, if we care enough to. Yeah. So just find where that's going to be. And, and make it work, you know? Yeah. Uh, so that's my opinion. Yeah. 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 hundred percent. Yeah. Good comment there from Casey saying same as studying is more effective to study for sor- shorter sessions than to do longer cram sessions. Although I will say from experience, I sure did a lot of cram sessions and I, I, I did very well with a, a lot of those, but I also happen to be a good test taker. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> what worked for me would probably not work for most people. Uh, going back to the college days. Woohoo. Anyway. <clears throat> well, cool. Um, we probably ought to start wrapping it up, but uh, what would be kind of some final thoughts or words that uh, you would want to end uh, this topic on? You know, one of the things, and, and it's been very difficult for me, uh, you know, here lately. Uh, but one of the things that I would encourage the listeners to do and kind of have this as a piece of advice, and I have this on my Facebook, is do not let what you can't do keeping keep you from doing what you can do. Hmm. Uh, you know, so, uh, you know, for me over the years, it's been, you know, I can't deadlift anymore. Uh, but you know, I can do, uh, you know, maybe I can't squat anymore, but I can do leg presses. Um, you know, I can't deadlift, but I can do back rows, you know, um, I can't dry fire 30 minutes in a row, but I can dry fire three minutes in a row, you know, et cetera. I can't make the range three days in a week, but I can make the range once in three weeks, um, you know, all that is going to be better than not doing it. You know, I, 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 it's one of the things that you brought up, you know, I, I've, I've seen some of these guys get on this, like, you know, thousand day dry fire kick. Like if you, if you miss a day in a thousand days, you're like, you know, you're a, you're a complete loser. The you earth know, is like, going to tilt on its axis. Right. You know, I mean, I've, <laughs> I've never done that, but when I've shot against the guys that do the thousand day dry fire, I've never lost, mm-hmm. you know? So, <clears throat> you know, do what you can and just be okay with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's good advice. You know, uh, life isn't always perfect and it throws us curveballs and, yeah, you know, it's like anything, you know, if you're trying to, if you're on a, on a diet, uh, workout regimen, uh, whatever, and, and you're trying to do the daily thing, trying to, you know, be, be disciplined about it. And you miss that one time, don't beat yourself up over it. Just pick up the ball the next day and run with it, you know, just, yeah. okay. Yeah. It is what it is. Like, yeah. uh, yeah. Yeah. Not, not everybody's a Jocko Willink. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that is true. That, in fact, I don't know if anybody is 
quite uniquely like him. He is uh, a fascinating, uh, fascinating person. That's for sure. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Well, good. It's been a good chat with you today, Spencer. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate it. And for, for bringing up this topic and, and I hope this has been beneficial for those that have been viewing or listening here today. Um, guys, again, don't forget to go check out keepersconcealment.com. Uh, that's where you'll find Spencer and all his stuff, uh, not only his holsters, but you also do some training yourself uh, as an instructor, Spencer. Yes. And I know that you're well-respected in that regard as well, uh, which, of course, is why we wanted to have you at the Guardian Conference. Um, but guys, you can, if you want to reach out to Spencer, if you want to find out about training, uh, if you want to host him, that sort of thing, I think I, they can find everything on keepersconcealment.com, yep. right? All keepersconcealment.com. Correct. Yeah. Awesome. Yep. And then again, just a, one last shout out again to, uh, the 2021 guardian conference, uh, guardianconference.com for the website. Uh, if you want to come and train with Spencer and everybody else that's going to be there, that's going to be awesome. And much, much learning is going to be had over those three days in Oklahoma City. Hopefully the weather cooperates and is nice. And uh, regardless, even if it isn't, it's going to be a great time. <laughs> and one of the things, one of the things I will say, you know, that's at my home gun club, the, the mm-hmm. Oklahoma City Gun Club, and it is a fabulous facility yeah uh you know so you're not going to be standing <clears throat> you know you're not going to be having to wade through you know uh thigh deep mud just to get to the place where you're going to shoot or you know something like that there's you know real bathrooms and uh you know all that so it's a fabulous mm-hmm. facility to have a conference like this at yep i couldn't agree more we 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 had some very specific requirements for a facility that could support this event successfully and uh, it pretty much checked off all the boxes and i mean you're you're exactly right i mean there's 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 running water on site there's bathrooms there's uh, plenty of space for everybody to do everything that that we're going to do we've got plenty of plenty of bays or berms uh, to support the different live fire blocks that are going to be offered Uh, we've got you know, space for, for the in more indoors classroom lecture type stuff as well. So it's going to yes. be great. It's going to work out awesome. And uh, we can't be, you know, happier than uh, to have uh, Oklahoma City Gun Club, frankly, open their arms. Uh, they've been wonderful to work with. Yes. Yep. Yep. So we're going to have a great time, guys. Well, with that, it is time to wrap up another one here. We'll be back here again next week. So... Don't go too far. Guys, we appreciate your support of the podcast and for our sponsors and folks like Spencer who come on and and give so willingly of their time and expertise. So with that, we're going to let you go and remind you to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care.